Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where the wealth within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader or investor. Wealth Within was voted number three for stock market podcast globally in 2018, so I hope you enjoy listening. This episode is a recording of our live YouTube weekly stock market show. Every Tuesday night, Dale and Janine stream live on YouTube from 7 to 8pm to answer your most burning questions, as well as analyse stock for our viewers. To watch the show, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Stock Market Show under the Learning Centre. As a global leader in stock market education, you can fast track your journey towards financial freedom by studying with Wealth Within. Please note that the information in this podcast should not be considered personal financial advice. Good evening and welcome to Wealth Within Live, the Australian stock market show where you ask the questions and we give you the answers about all things investing and trading. We hope you had a good weekend and for most Aussies, a great long weekend for the Queen's birthday holiday. For those of you who are currently working, if you haven't given the reason why you had a day off much thought, you probably should. Show some gratitude because every year while the Queen's alive at least, you get to enjoy a day of rest in honour of Her Majesty the Queen. Can we have some royal music please, Mr Director? Uh, I think he said no. Anyway, we love you, Your Royal Highness. With that out of the way, are you ready for what I know will be another great stock market show tonight? And if you've been following the market for a while, you'll know there's never a dull moment on the markets, whether you follow events locally in Australia or across world markets. Recently, we were chatting to a um, New York-based city attorney specialising in compliance, regulation and governance. This man is an expert in the blockchain space, focusing on the trading of digital assets and cryptocurrency. He brings comprehensive capital market knowledge gained through diverse leadership roles in alternative asset management, banking, consulting and trading technology, as well as through senior roles at NASDAQ and FINRA. Whew, what a mouthful. Now, I could go on. I'll tell you more at the end of the show. Tonight, as always, we'll shed some light on the current market as we aim to inform and educate you on the realities of investing and trading. Our topic for tonight is now the best time to invest in the stock market. Some say the best time is when there's blood in the streets. We'll share more on the topic very soon. As always, we'll look at what is currently happening on the Australian stock market, give you our thoughts, answer your most burning questions, look at the stocks that you're interested in and give you our expert opinion and a whole lot more. Hello, I'm Janine Cox, and as you can see, my trusty sidekick Dale Gillam is absent this evening. I'm not sure that he'd appreciate that reference. However, when the cat's away, uh, I'll leave that to your imagination. Anyway, Dale is on the road, and I know when he returns, he'll have more great ideas to make this show even better and bigger. And remember that uh, we, the Wealth Within team, are Australia's most tr trusted stock market educators. Hi everyone, I hope you're all well. It's good to see more people getting out and about and I can say that when I, was, went, I went to the supermarket this weekend, I was really pleased that the lady at the checkout actually asked me, would you like me to load your shopping bags? And yes, I actually said, as long as you sanitise your hands, I'm happy for you to do that. So um, if you have a question for us tonight, open up your email now and get typing, or better yet, grab your phone and record a 30-second video and email it to info at Wealth Within because we want to see your faces. And as always, keep your comments constructive so that we can assist as many people as possible with genuine questions. 
If tonight is your first time watching, then may I say a big hello and welcome. It's exciting to see you out there and to have you joining us tonight. We hope you enjoy the show. Remember to type some awesome comments into the box below so that Dale knows you enjoyed the show. Now moving on, it's the second Tuesday in the month and that means we take a look at the sectors and indices in the All Ordinaries Index. So let's get into a discussion on that right now. So up on the screen there, you can see I've got the sectors all there on the left-hand side and the performance for the week. So financials are actually at the top of the leaderboard, which is a big change in what we've seen recently. So we've got energy. So it looks like the, the laggards are actually catching up. And that often is what happens in the stock market where you see those out of favour often end up catching up to the others that were moving ahead. And interestingly, we've seen that the leaders, healthcare, information technology, are at the bottom of the board this week. So both of those down about 1.5%. Um, financials up 4.8% and energy's up 4.69%, so a bit of a spread. Right in the middle of the board, you can see there I've got utilities at 1.77% and consumer discretionary is tracking nicely with the utility sector there. Materials are slightly behind at 1.65, which is interesting because, you know, you might expect that materials would be pushing much harder at this point, but it, it's actually a bit slower this week than the other sectors. So you can see a real shift in what's happening with the institutional traders out there pushing money into the what they would consider as potentially short term anyway undervalued areas um, such as financials and energy but I can assure you that often when these moves are made by the big institutions that the situation is that you know you're probably investing after the fact rather than ahead of um, that space so but at, at the moment there's a lot of short-term action happening in the market short-term traders are coming in and taking um, up stocks but I've seen quite a few gaps up this week um, some of the big stocks have gapped up so when we see that happening you know the prices are going to come back to fill those gaps often these gaps happen at peaks in in value of, of the stocks and in the market and the stocks are actually due for a peak over the coming weeks it's heading into the end of the financial year and quite often people will be looking to close out positions before the end of the financial year the brokers often come out with their recommendations to suggest that people sell stocks that they want to get rid of out of their portfolio and look to rejig their portfolios so you'll see a lot of that happening but never make a decision to sell a stock purely based on that and trying to do things for tax reasons, have good strategies in place that are actually making logical sense from a technical perspective. So that's a bit of an overall situation for the week. I just thought I'd switch to the month so we can have a look at the bigger picture of what's happening. So for the month, that real that nice push up that we've seen over the last two weeks in financials has pushed it ahead on the leaders board, so up 12.59% question is how long can that be maintained for and then we've got consumer staples in the middle of the board this time 5.66 percent materials just lagging behind the staples healthcare and information technology again at the bottom for the month so it's really interesting to see that happening now I thought we haven't done this for a while so I thought we'd go and have a look at what's happening for the year just to see where things are at so for the year currently uh, it's big difference isn't it to what we were just seeing all this green on the board it's actually predominantly red for the year so we're still we still see energy down 26.7 percent financials down about 13 and a half industrials interestingly down 10 or 11 percent now often when the industrials start to move that's a, a good sign that uh, the things are that things are switching in the marketplace so it's a, it's a good sector to keep an eye on um, so we're looking across the board there and seeing at the top information technology still leading consumer staples is up there more defensive in nature 
and the healthcare sector. Um, there's been a bit of a shift in the healthcare sector over recent weeks, as you probably are aware. So that's only up about 0.4% currently, um, interestingly enough. So I thought I'd just have another look at um, the sectors from a different perspective. So we've got our spaghetti chart. Now it's um, aptly named because there's a lot of lines on the chart getting tangled up together and it's often quite hard to see what's happening there until you look closer to the right hand side. So I've got all of the sector codes listed on the right hand side and we'll go through those in a minute but I'm just looking at the ones that are, look like they're performing at best. So we're seeing strength in the energy sectors pointing up strongly, financials is pointing up strongly even though they're shown underneath the rest of the lines. That's not a true indication of of whether they're coming up or not. It's more about the angle. So we're seeing this strong angle up in energy and financials, strong angle up in the staples, and also up in materials, we're starting to see that push up. Um, and the market, of course, is getting the benefit of that. So it's in the middle here. You can see this line coming across here. This is the XAO, which is the code for our overall market, if you're not familiar with that. Healthcare's at the top, so you can see it's flatlined, which is interesting. So, uh, you know, if you're watching one of those monitors in the hospital, it's like flatlined, so it's perhaps it's dead at the moment. Healthcare um, has just gone out of favour, you could say. Whereas the staples, as I mentioned, is coming up. So information technology is not quite flat, it's just um, softening off there. You can see the angle of that line flattening off. Now, the next thing I thought that's worth having a look at is other size indices. So we've got um, the all um, Australian 50 index, which we like to look at. Now, isn't that fantastic to see that at the top of the leaderboard? 2.7% up this week. Now, we've got the S&P ASX 50 up 2.6. Now, mid cap 50, this is the 50 stocks outside of the top 50 on the market within the top 100 and we're seeing that up around 2%. So the emerging companies, which you may have seen lots of emails about this recently, that a lot of companies are trying to push people to get into the smaller companies and I just really caution you about doing that at this point in time. Um, so only up 1% for the week. Let's have a look at what's happening in the month. And still emerging companies are at the bottom of the leaderboard. The top 20 big stocks on the market are at the, at the top leading the, the whole rise out, up at the moment. So that's interesting to see. And look, often that happens, especially when there's a more defensive tone in the market that the big stocks are going to lead it out. When there's more growth happening, often the mid cap 50 will jump ahead. So we're seeing that down towards the bottom at the moment. So we could see a bit of a shift coming in the next few weeks, but it'll be interesting to see what happens there with the sectors. Stay tuned for the next report that we have on the sectors. There's bound to be some more interesting um, news ahead, I'm sure. The next four to six weeks are really critical for our market, so stay tuned. Now it's time to get into your videos and emails, and it's always a challenge to see how many that we can get through in the night. Now, being on my own, of course, it's going to be a little bit more challenging again. So we'd like to thank you for your questions. And remember, the more detail that you provide, the more likely a question is to be responded to on the show. So share why you want us to discuss your questions, as this will increase your chances of having your question selected. And also, if you want your question to have the highest priority, just send in a 30-second video of your question 
so that we can see your face. Now, last month we announced that we'd be taking email and video questions only. So if you have a question you would like us to look at a stock for you or there's, maybe there's something else, send your email into or video in to info at wealthwithin.com.au and do so before 3pm on Tuesdays. If you send it through tonight, you're going to increase your chances of having your question answered on the show next week. Now, before we get into our first email for the night, we've got a very special viewer video question from Paul. Thanks so much, Paul, uh, for your contribution to tonight's show. You've done well. Hey, guys. Hope you're well. Um, I just wonder if you could give me your view on um, SW1, Swift Networks. Um, it was something that I bought into before I had any real uh, understanding of what I was doing. Um, it's turned into an investment rather than a trade. Um, now, in recent weeks, it seems to have turned out, turned around. The volume has spiked massively. Um, I think it's a good sign. If you could give me your view, that would be much appreciated. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Now, on the screen, I've got SW1 there. You can see what Paul's referring to as the spike in volume, which is this bar here. Now, I'm just going to expand it up. Now, normally I'd start on the monthly chart. For those of you who follow the show, you'll know why we do that, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But this is a very patchy, illiquid stock. So this is what Paul's talking about. Before he came onto the show, he didn't understand the difference about these stocks and when to buy as well. So Potentially, he may have been buying as the stock was falling. So often reports can come out. And when reports come out to try to get investors in is often when it's in a decline. So, for example, this period here, this, what drove it up here may have been something that came out, some news that came out about the stock. Perhaps brokers were trying to get rid of the stock and they may be doing that for people who are a much bigger fish than you. And then, of course, the price goes up, they sell the shares and then it starts being sold off and continues to fall away. So we've seen that happen with Swift Media. Now, more recently, it's rising up. So look, you know, in the short term, there could be some light at the end of the tunnel for Swift Media. Now, it's slowing down a little bit. We've seen some really strong rises and don't let the size of these bars um, confuse you at all because in terms of the range, it's a 62% increase. So it really does depend on where Paul bought, what's going on. However, it may be worth um, you know, setting a, a trailing stop loss if you haven't got one in place already, Paul. Uh, the problem with this low down here is it's way too far away from the current price action. So this is the real challenge with these types of stocks. The level of volatility is huge and often the average person can't handle it. Not only that, if you try to get out of these shares, often the volume dries up and it's not there. So right now, volume's good in the share. There's obviously some demand happening. It could be the turning point in terms of it could be the point where the stock starts to move up from there. And I can see that in the short term, it could hit its head on around this range, somewhere between about a dollar, uh, or sorry, 10 cents and uh, around 14 cents. So there's a potential for it to rise into that zone at the moment. So that's my thought on the stock. Again, it's high risk and um, not for everyone's portfolio and you really need an exit plan. That's my comment. So thanks again, Paul. Great question. Now, our first email question was actually from Derek who asked about automated trading platforms. Now, we haven't included the specific content of the question because we do not endorse these platforms or products called black box software. We thought it was important to mention this because over the years that we've heard from a lot of people who have lost a lot of money this way. For those of you who are not aware of automated trading software or algorithms, this is about having a computer program do the trading or present the trades for you to place. 
Now, over the years, we've spoken to people in the financial industry as well as IT people who've developed software and trading algorithms. And their common response is that these algorithms may work for a while, then they stop working. Now, the problem is if you buy software that does your trading for you or tells you what to trade, if something goes wrong, you won't understand what occurred, why, nor would you be able to correct it. So you'll just be blindly relying on the program, which you don't understand the inner workings of. So unfortunately, some would-be traders hear how big institutions use algorithms as part of their trading strategy and think that they want to trade like the big boys or girls and not wanting to be sexist. But beware because the way the institutions trade is different to how individuals trade. Now, institutions have access to huge amounts of capital. So they make money on a few points in the movement of markets or stocks. Now, we've spoken to so many people who've been burned trying to trade algorithms. And in our experience, the more, knowledge you, the more knowledgeable you are about the market, and if you have the right training, you can do better than a program. And then the more your ability to trade well will grow, and so you become the master of your own trading, and ultimately, you'll be more confident in setting the right strategy to suit your preferred level of risk and the outcomes you want. So that's all I really have to say on the topic. And I really want to thank you, Derek, for raising this subject. Now, our next email's from Riley. Hi, guys, again. I just bought IAG today on the 4th of the 6th at $6.26. I decided based on the breaking of the downtrend line on the weekly chart with four consecutive weeks with higher highs and higher lows, increasing in range week to week and holding to close high within the range consistently. A good dividend yield of 3.4%, 70% franked. The resistance level of $5.30, it's tested and pushed off from again. I acknowledge that I should have waited for the price to push through some less resistance at 6.48. I have 15% stop loss at 5.31. What is your opinion of the trade? Interesting question, Riley, and thank you very much for that one. Um, look, I can see here that you've written in brackets there. Um, you said suck up time. Uh -huh. uh, I, I noticed that and you were talking about buying books. But before we get into that part, I thought I'd um, just have a look at the stock here. Now, you can see here it's been quite volatile, IAG. Now, it, it got a lot of airplay when Warren Buffett's company was looking to invest in the stock, and I think they did, and then it literally fell away not long after that. So I'd just say to you, you know, I'm not sure the reasons why you purchased, but you can have a look at the chart. This is a long-term chart of IAG and see that, that over the long-term, 641 is a really strong resistance level for the stock. So it's likely to hit its head there again until it eventually pushes through it. And that's the way stocks move on the market. Now, I think it's wise that you've got a stop loss. And I really applaud you for the fact that you've put that in place and you're managing your risk on the downside. And that's all you can really do. If all you did was structure your portfolio in a way that Dale talks about in his book, using the money management and the risk management approaches, and, and you, you were able to move forward with that, you could do reasonably well and be protecting your downside risk. Of course, tech, good technical rules tell you that that stock is still pushing down strongly. So you can see if you were looking at this for more medium term, maybe medium to long term, the movement down in this share is strongly down. Now, I'll switch to the weekly chart. We look more shorter term. And right now, I can't see a downtrend line um, close enough on the stock. I can try to put a trend line in there. Um, and look, 
I've got something down here. If I'm not sure where you put your trend line, but you know, it's not easy to get a line down there and still meet all of the rules that we talk about in our course. So I'm just looking at this stock and thinking that if you really want to do this work with trend lines and you want to really understand how to trade these stocks when they actually break their trend lines, then you really need to take the next step and talk to one of our education consultants because they can suggest a course that will suit you best. So good for having a go at it. I applaud you for having a crack at it. I'd say to you that if you can see this level across here and look, some of the people that come through, they choose to do our short course. They want to see what it's like before they invest or commit the funds to do the diploma. But I can tell you if you have the price analysis, which is in module four and the pattern analysis on top of the trading strategy, not only do you understand the best rules to buy and sell a share, but you'll also have a really solid outlook on the stock to understand that where it's likely to rise to, how far, what are the levels that I need to think about that are the warning signs and and how the stock may, may unfold when it triggers. So there's a lot um, in there to prepare you for, for everything that you need to know. But look, I congratulate you on at least having a go. So well done there. But um, you actually said um, on the next um, part of your email was, Suck up time, ha ha. I bought and read both your books, that's Dale's books. When my brother asked me about equity investing and how I made money, and more importantly, how did I ensure my capital was preserved, he was finally smart to recognise that was the most important thing. And I just gave him both the books and said, read these at least. Um, me just giving you a tip was a poor idea because it leads to a false sense of security, a golden ticket mentality. Thanks again, guys, for everything you guys do for us. Well, very well appreciated, Riley. Thanks, Riley. That was awesome. Appreciate that. Okay. Um, well, we're actually on to the topic now. I think that's what we're coming up to. It's time to get into tonight's main topic is now the best time to invest in the stock market. Now, Warren Buffett is quoted as saying, buy when there's blood in the streets. You may have heard of that. But few know that the original quote actually came from the 18th century banker, Baron Rothschild, right? I'm sure some of you have heard of him. If you haven't, you want to Google him, who said the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets, even if the blood is your own. It's pretty dramatic. Um, this contrarian view to investing suggests that when the masses are panic selling and the market is falling heavily, you should do the opposite of what the masses are doing. So is now the best time to be investing in the stock market? It's the question. While history reveals the best time to be in the market is actually when prices are rising, but investors typically struggle to identify when the market has confirmed it's actually in an uptrend. So tonight I'll share with you what you need to consider in order to identify when is the best time to invest in the stock market. So we're going to have a look at... Um, areas around market tops and bottoms and mass market psychology around these times and also to demonstrate where the best times have been to invest. It's good to have a look at history to learn about what the future will bring as well as some risk considerations thrown in there as well. So what I'm going to do um, without further delay is bring up a um, lovely PowerPoint that has been prepared for you so that you can see what is really important when you're looking at the market and where the market is right now? Where are the best times to invest based on what history shows? So this is mass market psychology, the best times to be in the market. Now, this is a chart that we've actually shared with students who are at a, a workshop with us. And we've done this a number of times in history uh, and shown this same chart because it doesn't 
grow old essentially. The same things that apply um, or are relevant now are actually going to continue to be relevant always. So we saw on the market a crash in 87. Everybody's heard about it. Not everybody's seen what it looks like in, on the charts. But you can see there the dramatic decline. Now, it doesn't look very significant or concerning, does it, when you consider what's happened in the global financial crisis to the right of that chart. However, it, it's all relative. And back then, it was just as significant as what we've seen re, you know, in the GFC and more recently, only it was actually much faster than what had occurred in the GFC. But what's important here is actually what happens at market tops typically and what happens after market tops. So we see that after the 87 crash, the market traded sideways for a number of months before moving up, but then really struggled. It went sideways again and then pulled back. Now, this scenario has actually been repeated in time after the global financial crisis, which I will show you shortly. But what's happening here is we're, we're seeing, we've seen the huge sell-off in the 87 crash. We see this renewed confidence coming in in the period after that. Now, there's always this urgency to get in. When's the best time to invest? When should I buy? But I'd just say to you, the best time to invest is when you understand how to manage your risk. Uh, because you could invest at any time. If you, if you understand how to trade short, medium or long term, you understand how to have rules, um, you can invest at any time and still make money. But obviously, if you're investing for the longer term and you're investing after some of these major corrections, potentially you could do really well if the market keeps going up. But there could also be periods where the market just trades sideways. So this is where real, if you're in the market for the medium to the long term, your, real, your risk is that you could be totally on the wrong tram and be sitting in a market that's trading sideways for years which is what happened after the 87 correction. And then after that, we saw the market rise. So it wasn't until all that time from the 87 crash all the way until 1994 that the market actually started moving up again and through that high. 94, 95. Now that's a long time to be waiting for the market to move on if you've invested in stocks and you're just sitting there. And I don't think that it's a real waiting game per se. I think that there's a time to be in the market and there's a time to be actually in cash. So obviously, once the correction in 87 had occurred, the time to be in cash was as soon as the, the exit signals would, were presenting on stocks, which they did do, even though it looks dramatic on the monthly chart there. On the weekly chart of a lot of the stocks, they actually gave good indication of when to get out prior to most of the correction. And that was actually true for what happened in the global financial crisis. So history tells us that the best time to invest in the market is once the market confirms that it's going to continue to move back up. Now, if you, you look back to this period, if you waited until the market went through its all-time high, clearly you would have been in the market during a decline that happened over around 12 months or eight months into this low in 1995. So the best time to be in the market was when a lot of stocks were giving reasons to enter and there were strong moves up on the market. Is that what's happening now or is this a false rally? That's the question. So we can see here that there were periods of 6 to 12 months where the market would actually move up and there were other uh, the periods that followed, potentially 6 to 12 months, where the market actually fell away into a decline. 
so the periods that we want to be in the market is when it's actually rising, not when it's falling. There's no point just holding your breath, hoping that the market's going to bottom out. Because if you clearly, if you bought, if you were buying and you first started buying into the highs up here in 2006, 2007, then you would be sitting in on major losses if you were buying and holding. And you don't want to be in that situation. That's the highest risk time to be buying when the market is really stretched and running. The other time that I think is a high risk time to be buying is when every man and his dog is looking to buy shares. Now that was happening back before the GFC in 2006-2007. It was also happening prior to the 87 crash and people thought that they couldn't lose, they could easily make money from the market. Okay, so that was, it's the perception that's going on out there. So is that unlike what we're seeing now? That's the question. I think that what we're seeing on the market now is people who have never in, gone into shares before or who have no knowledge and experience are going and putting their hard-earned money into stocks not really having a clear plan of how they're going to exit the shares. So to me, that's concerning. But it's also if you consider there could be a number of possible scenarios about how the market could be unfolding right now. Um, and I'll come to that in a minute. But before I do, the thing about being in the market, it's always about having your risk. So there are best times to be in the market after the significant corrections when we've seen 20, 30, 40% correction. The problem is that if you get it wrong and you happen to time yourself into the market when the market's corrected and then it still has a further to fall, which is what happened in the GFC when the market had corrected here in early 2008 and then it rose for a couple of months and fell again. A lot of people lost a lot of money in that period into the 2009 low. So what we see is a typical pattern here I'm going to talk to you about is this renewed confidence after the correction. And that could take years, months and years before that happens. And this is all about the stocks recovering. And then we see this period of improved earnings. So we get lots of company announcements coming out. Um, companies continue to top what they did in prior years. Year after year, they keep improving it. We're seeing that happening. And then we move into a, a slowdown again. There'll be some crisis happens or there's a cause for concern and then the market eventually takes off again. So clearly you wouldn't have wanted to be in the market during this period here where all of that was happening. Simple things like trend lines can keep you out of the market during those times. So then you get this rampant speculation when everybody starts buying shares. We've seen that happen in the global financial crisis prior to that and then we see the distressed selling at the top at the bottom, sorry, abandonment of hope at the top, decreased earnings as the, the market tries to push the shares back up, but it's doing it on thin air. So this is what we're not sure about right now, whether the market's actually rising on this thin air and whether there's further to come in terms of the distress that will happen. There'll be the haves and the haves nots in the market. And, you know, where are you going to be? That's the question. So with the sell-off into the 2009 low, following that, we saw this huge rush to get back into shares. But there were signs that the market was bottoming. There was a slowdown at the bottom. You can see it took a number of months, four or five months at the bottom, similar sort of thing to what happened with the 87 crash. And then the market started to rise again. Six to 12 months up it goes and then it took off again. Now I'm just going to show you the next chart which you got a sneak peek of just before. Now you can see that the market then went sideways but this is a period of renewed confidence again. It's all coming back the same pattern over again 
we saw that the market corrected with the tsunami. We had this big sideways move and the market took off. Now, this is typically what we see. Once we see that consolidation, the market moving up, there's some basis or bottom for the market. It's already padded out the bottom. Same with this period here in 2011, 2012. So investing all the way up this rise is producing returns until you get towards the top there and then that then you're exposed again with with risk so this is the improved earnings phase and there's always some negative news that comes out and in this case it was actually the the financial sector and what was going on in the financial sector and then the royal commission that pushed everything down but it was actually after all of that news started to settle out into 2016 we started to see the market move up again this was actually the best time to be in the market because the royal financial crisis was was um well, the stocks had the companies had come out. We started to see what was going on, and it, and the, it became clearer as to what was um, ahead. So therefore, when the perception is that things are improving, the market starts to rise again, and then factors everything in around six months in advance. Now, we saw this big push up. A bit of a warning sign was when we had the pullback here in 2019. We saw the market pull back at the end of 2018, and then take off again. Um, and then we saw the, the high and the correction with COVID, which was so sudden. And because of what's happening with the psychology of people, um, first of all, it was the quick sell-off, the panic selling, and then it was the rush back into the market to try to get a bargain. This is what typically happens after a high has occurred. But look, I've got two theories here. One is that the market is going to go up, challenge that high. We, we're seeing, we're saying at the moment 6,200, 6,400. We could see the market go up another 5 to 7% potentially. And if it does manage to eke that little um, gain out on top of what's already happened, then we, there's two things that could happen. One, we could see stocks push higher and continue to move into um, territory that we haven't seen for some time. And we could see a lot of more stocks trade into all-time high territory or we're going to see a reversal of sentiment something comes out later this year and all of a sudden the market moves back and those people who have got into the stock market for the first time will feel the pain of that but if this is the early phase of these people getting in then that could push the market well through that 7,200 point mark that was the all-time high uh, this year. So that's what we're watching for at the moment. And I think it's not about a rush to get back in because as you saw, there was plenty of time to make money if the market's going to run. It's not about trying to get in it and put everything into the market at the earliest and the highest risk possible time because often markets can come back and take a lot of that out. You've seen each time the market had a major correction. This is what occurred after the first rise out. There was a big pullback afterwards. So... What I'm suggesting is the best time to be in the market is when you understand your risk and you've got a good set of rules and just gradually move into the market and don't get caught up in it. If your psychology is such that you are feeling greed, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling um, any of the emotions that are probably going to make you make um, poor decisions and you can feel that, then it's really wise to take a step back and just work out what it is you need and then go and actually get that information or do what you need to do to be better prepared in the market. Because it's too 
there's too much at stake here for people who don't understand how to manage their risk. There are players out there who are looking to take your money. So just remember that always um, and just have a pragmatic approach to the stock market. So, so as I was saying before, the better times to be in the market are when the market is running and it's not euphoric buying that's happening um, and it's not distressed selling. When, when the market's falling, you want to be waiting for the bottom to happen and for there to be some confirmation that it's starting to move back up again. So we could be seeing that now. It's just a question. It's very early days yet. And if it is a much longer run that we're about to see on the market, as I showed in these slides, there'll be plenty of opportunities to, to take advantage of that. So look, now I think um, we, it's time to get into some more emails. But before we do, remember to hit that subscribe button now. And whilst you are there, give us a big thumbs up click on the like button. For those of you who have been watching the show for a while, looking for that moment to do this, then you know that Dale and I often have a bit of a banter on the show and many of you tell us that you enjoy watching. So let's give him something to talk about and help me to boost the numbers on the night when he's not on the show. Thank you very much for that. Well, we've got a great question from Christine tonight. Hi, Dale and Janine. I've just about finished reading your book, Chapter 6, Riding the Waves of Success. However, I'm still not sure about buy signal on a downtrend. Question one, is there such a thing as a buy signal in an uptrend as well? Or is it always a buy signal on the upward trend? I'm interested in VCX as the shares have a long-term growth from $1.80 in 2012 and peaked in 2016. However, the share price has since decreased to a dollar in March and now at $1.59 and a half per share. They've successfully completed a $1.2 billion institutional placement at $1.48 per new security, which will dilute existing shares. However, we will also mean they have the ability to take a hit in the short term. More than 3,000 shares have also reopened and 80% of stores um, that stores have reopened and now stores are trading, which hopefully will increase their revenue. Question two, what do you think about VCX, um, Christine? Good question. Now, VCX is actually um, a property or a REIT-related share. So let's have a look at vicinity centres, VCX. You can see there on the left-hand side of the screen, I've got the monthly chart. Now, it has actually moved up quite strongly over recent weeks. We've seen it hit uh, around about a dollar, close to $1.90 this week. So you can see it's getting a bit thin on the ground in terms of the rise. There was a nice pullback last week and a move to come back up. But because the shares gapped up, there's a good chance it'll come back, probably pull back into the vicinity of about $1.60-65 before it starts moving back up or shows us whether it's got the ability to move back up. But there's a real risk here that this stock will hit its head somewhere between $1.90 and $2.00. Um, Often round numbers in shares can be important for stocks that can often meet resistance there and, and um, short-term profit takers will often take profits there. So looking at it at the moment, if, if um, I was holding this share, I'd continue to hold it and I'd be lo looking to set a trailing stop loss on it. So it's really important that you consider how you will protect yourself and manage your risk on VCX. And it doesn't matter whether they've had an institutional placement and whether it was successful um, to me, that's really irrelevant. It's more about what's the chart showing and is the share price likely to rise. Also, if companies do have placements, often it can mean that the institutions, if they were going to take up the stock, have already taken it up through the placement. 
So if it's a retail placement only, then um, that can often be a better thing. But if the institutions have already picked up a lot of stock, it could be that um, they're not going to pick it up on the market now. So therefore, that if they were buying it on the market before, that's pushing the share price higher. So we could see a bit of a slowdown in the share price at the moment. So I'm sure you'd be a bit happier that it's recovered some of what it's lost, but still important to be always think about protecting your downside, not about how much you're making or have made. It's more about making sure that you hang on to that profit and how you're going to do it. It's not quite in an uptrend yet, but at some point it may get there. Now, I've got another question here. Thanks very much for that question, Christine. I've got a question from Simon. Hi, Dale and Janine. I've recently started trading and found your shows really great. I've also purchased and read your book and started using its advice to build my portfolio. Now, one question I have is with stop losses. I originally set trailing sales through Comsec at a 10% stop, but it triggered some sales when the stocks briefly dropped down 10% within the day's trading, but then rose again before the end of the day. Mm, that can be confusing. So is this because the market's much more volatile than usual or is 10% just too tight? Good question. Also, if lots of people use the trailing sell at 10%, does this cause a large volume of sales when the price drops 10% off the peak? Gee, I love your thinking, Simon, affecting the price further. Last Thursday, the same thing happened with my MDR shares and sold them for me, even though the price came back up within a few hours. I'd love your views on this stock and if it's still looking good, as the telehealth medical app seems to be a great option in these COVID days and beyond. Cheers, Simon. Really interesting there, Simon. Thank you for that. Look, first of all, 10% um, stops from highs are not proper rules. So that's one point. The second point is that the market, the people in the market and the brokers know that retail traders who don't have proper knowledge use things like this, moving averages, they use percents from highs. So they're actually going to, there, there are people out there who are going to look to take your money. And if they know that, that there's a good chance that people are in there and they want the stock or they want to get rid of it, sell it, maybe help them to short sell it and help to drive the price down further. Um, there's a possibility they could use your trade to do all that or pick it up, pick up the stock at that point if they see that there's potentially a low point coming there. So, you know, you're at the mercy of those groups if you actually set um, trades like that. So when we trade, we actually don't put trades in the market. Now, I'm not saying don't do that because it can depend on your lifestyle, your situation. You may have to set stop losses um, into broker platforms just to see that you'll get your trade on because of work situations or the like. You might be busy during the day. But if you can avoid it, the best thing to do is to actually be having a look at what the stock's done after the market close or just prior to the market close and then make the call to, to um, sell the stock if that's what you're choosing to do. So looking at MDR, Med Advisor, um, it's a software development company, I believe. It's only a smaller company. You can see the liquidity even on the monthly chart, it's really patchy. And looking at the weekly chart, it's got that picket fence sort of look to it, which is what um, Dale and I've talked about on the show before. And this shows how illiquid the stock is. So this is what this means is that if you went to trade the stock, the chances that you'll get the price that you want when you go to buy or sell are probably pretty narrow. So looking at the number of shares traded per week, it's actually looks like um, just carefully looking there 770,000 I think but the stock's only trading between 50 and 60 or 50 and 70 cents so really small 
amount of money in, into it there. So you can see quick moves on the market, but still, look, it, I show it is actually showing some improvement with the liquidity that we've seen over recent months, but um, and it is moving up, right? So that's a positive thing. While it stays above this level here, about 55 cents, it's got a reasonable chance of moving up. It could move up to a, somewhere between 70 and 80 cents in the short term. There's a possibility of that. And if the trend continues, then look, if you're in it now, then the, the issue is um, how to sell it and, and how to hold on to it. But if I was in this stock, and I'm not saying I would buy something like this, but if I was, then I would continue to hold it, but I'd be um, very careful and selective about how I set a stop loss on the share because it could, like it did just before here in February, it could just as easily turn and go the other way. So just be mindful of that. But so far it's looking better. At least it's recovered from its high where it was before COVID came in and it's pushing high. But if it keeps moving up above this recent high at around, uh, which is about 68 cents, then it should do reasonably well in the short term. So that's MDR. But those sort of stocks, we don't believe in them as being buy and hold. Um, it's more shorter term, short to medium term. So that's MDR. Now I've got another email here from Caleb. I graduated from your podcast to Dale's books to trading mentor. Well done. So you would have learned a lot more and followed um, Dale's reports in Trading Mentor. You would have seen once a fortnight, he talks about the stocks, which is always interesting. So looking forward to doing the diploma in future. Good for you. Love the show each week. You drop so much valuable advice. Thanks for the amazing education. Now, wondering what you think of RHC, Ramsey Healthcare. I bought it open on Monday, the 1st of June, around 69 only to watch it drop 5% over the week, which 5% is not a lot, but you know, I understand that would be a bit stressful when you've just got in. Now my stop loss is 15%, EPS is forecast to increase, which is good, and it seems to be showing renewed strength just prior to COVID. Wondered what you think of its prospects, kind regards Caleb. So I've got Ramsey up here on the screen. Now you can see over recent weeks, it's actually looking quite good. It's broken an important level of resistance. It's got really good support here at about $65. So often when stocks move up, they'll go, come back for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks uh, before we start to see a further move up. And you'd have to understand that with a big rise like this, so we saw a big move up as about 16 or 17% for the month that... Um, you know, it, it's, it's more likely to trade within the range of the previous month, which is typical. If you look back at stocks over previous months, you'll see that they often trade higher. Like, let's take this as an example. In December 2018, you can see this bar here, and I'll just expand that up for you, where the stock rose, it traded within the range of the prior bar. The month after that, the stock actually opened up at the same value, traded higher and then traded back to trade within the range of the previous bar and so on with the following month. So that's repeatedly what happens with stocks. So at this point, it's still a question as to where um, Ramsey's going to go. But if, if the prior month is any indication, I'd expect that it's likely to head higher still up to around $74 in the short term and then to challenge that all-time high. So if it trades back, the real risk is that it could continue lower. So this is where you've really got to have your stop loss and decide, which you've done. So you've done everything that you can. Um, but that's the reality of the stock market. Sometimes you can get a good entry on a stock. It trades up for a little bit and then pulls back below your buy price. But that's the whole purpose of a stop loss. And the reason 
Um, if you're trading short to medium term or medium term or medium to long term, the whole point of setting a stop loss without setting it too close is so that you can allow the stock price to have some room to move and give it an opportunity to go higher rather than setting it too tight. With shorter term trading, the idea is to set the stops tighter, but then you may find that your win-loss ratio varies. So you might have more losses with trading stocks with tighter stops and get make the broker happy but maybe um, you know for the, for the for new people who are trying to trade having losses can be something that you can't deal with so you're more than likely to choose to hang on to a stock when you perhaps shouldn't be and you might be increasing your risks so that's something to think about as well so look I really appreciate that question on Ramsey that's a good one interesting sector at the moment which um, you know has been leading for some time now the next email we have is from Jared he says hi Dale and Janine on a previous live stream, you spoke briefly in regards to GMG with quite a positive note. I went to analyse the stock using skills discussed in the book to notice that GMG had a relatively high PE ratio in comparison to other stocks in the sector. Would you please briefly discuss in general when it's okay to ignore PE ratio? And once again, thank you for your time. Kind regards, Jared. PE ratio is an interesting thing, isn't it? It's really widely talked about in broker spaces and, and fundamentalists look at it. They look at forward PE, they look at current PE. The thing is that we actually put more emphasis on earnings per share than we do on the PE ratio. So we're looking at forward one, two year earnings to see what the stock is expected to do. But then earnings can change. And in a climate like this right now, how fluid are those earnings forecasts likely to be? And I'd say that they are probably going to change. So that's something you have to weigh up. So this is why we put more emphasis on what's happening on the chart because when the institutions are investing, they're going to move. When the big money comes into the market, they're going to move the share price and you'll see the direction that it's taking. So I would suggest um, you know, looking at GMG, which I've got up on the screen now, GMG has historically been a great stock. It's been one of the better stocks in the property space for some time. So if you look at this, we can see that with COVID, it's actually recovered pretty much all of what it lost, which not all shares have been able to make that same claim to fame. So what we're seeing here is a nice steady run that the stock's had up over time. And this, this could be a temporary slowdown before the stock heads higher. And if it does keep moving up, we could see it make... Um, or break, sorry, this $20 mark, $21, is a real possibility for the stock over the medium term. If it starts heading back, and what you've got to be mindful of with the GMG, is if it starts heading back and starts trading below around $13.40, um, that could be a real issue for the, for the stock. I'd say it would be struggling to push back higher. But look, in the short term, it's done really well. We could see it down for a couple of weeks, and I'd expect that to be the case with GMG. Uh, so I just say, look, you know, you're looking at the right types of stocks, nice big liquid stocks and GMG included. And I'm glad that you you remembered um, comments that we raised on a particular share, which is great. So it was looking really nice and it still is. But of course, what goes up must come down. And there's always a breather after a nice rally in a share price. And that's when you've got to be patient and wait. And this is where your bigger picture analysis comes in. So right now it's trading at a really important level. There is strong resistance here. So it's natural for this share to, to um, take some time to get through it. So look, bit of patience there with GMG at the moment. Now, um, the final email that we have is from Mr. CJC, Mr. Mystery. 
Hi Dale and Janine, I love your show. Could you explain a good PE ratio and does it affect your buying decision? So it's another question around PE. Look, when, when we're looking at stocks, there are some stocks in the market that typically will have much higher PE ratios. And these are often the growth type stocks that we see. Healthcare stocks traditionally can have much higher PE ratios. So when that's happening, you know that you're not necessarily going to be getting good dividends either because this is typically what happens when stocks move on. The prices are running high. The PE ratios might be high. Um, and often the dividend yields are less than the market average. So you could be thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to rule this stock out of purchasing it for my portfolio because you might have criteria for your portfolio when you're doing your stock selection that says that I don't want to have a stock that's got a PE above 25. And I can remember going through lots of these sorts of trials years ago when I was studying the fundamentals of the market and watching what was happening when there were different movements in the market with the PE ratios. And if you, if you use a PE ratio to filter out shares, it can be really unreliable at times because you can have stocks like BHP and Rio that are moving along nicely and their PE ratios might slip above a particular level that you've decided is a cutoff, whether it's 25, 20, whatever that is, and so that you miss out on a good opportunity to get in the share. But then you can have um, other situations where the PE drops right down low. You think, okay, the PE is really low and I should be able to get a nice trade on the share now. There should be plenty of potential in there. But you've actually not looked enough at the earnings um, and what's going on with the company and then not looked back at the share chart or the price chart to see if all of that makes sense and it sort of gels. Because the, the share, typically the, um, the charts won't lie, but the, the fundamentals can. So just remember that. Um, now, remember that I mentioned the New York-based attorney that we've been chatting to, and I promised to tell you more. What I would also like to share with you is if you tune in next week, you'll find out what his current view is on the situation in the US with COVID and the unrest, and also his view on reporting season in the US. Mm, it's going to hot up, I'm sure. So remember to tune in next week. Now, I would like to talk to you about another share um, tonight. Now, this is actually the banking sector has just started a bit of a comeback recently. So we've seen the banking sector really held back um, from rising. And a lot of people have been really concerned because a lot of mums and dads have bank shares and they've been holding on to them for the long term. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's a bank stock, a mining stock, um, an industrial share, no share is immune from a pullback. And I think if you didn't learn that during the GFC, then you will have seen this in COVID with what's happened with the bank shares since the Royal Commission and the continuation of these declines. So I think if you, if you want to you know, have a blindfold on and just continue to take dividends and get the benefit of franking credits and just keep uh, have a blind eye to what's going on, then you're going to experience a lot of stress potentially with share prices falling 40-50% at times, which is what we've seen. But look, there is a bit of um, a light at the end of the tunnel in the short term with what Commonwealth Bank's doing. So we have seen some moves up in, in all the banks, but I would say that um, Commonwealth Bank has gapped up. So like the miners have gapped up this week, Commonwealth Bank's gapped up. And the real concern with that is we could see a push up in the early part of the week and then the market comes back at the end of the week um, or next week 
to fill that gap. And the, the problem with gaps on the charts is generally, or with typically with banks, is they always get filled. And if that's if a gap's formed on a chart, then it means that you could be buying in now, and then it goes up for a couple of weeks, and then that it peaks out and then comes back again for a number of weeks. So. I would just say to you, don't get too excited about the banks. Commonwealth Bank's always been a better share to hold than the others anyway. So if I show you a chart of, say, NAB, it's a huge contrast um, what's gone on with Commonwealth Bank to what's gone on with NAB since the GFC. And I'll just flash back to Commonwealth Bank. So you can see there that in percentage terms from the top, you've got Commonwealth Bank down about 24%. But if I look at what's happened with uh, National Australia Bank, it's down 52. So, and I think I, I'm not sure if ANZ is similar to Westpac. I think similar to to NAB, but those are the two stocks out of the out of the financial sector that I've been following. I'm not saying that I like NAB over the other ones. It's just that it's a contrast between the haves and the haves nots, being CBA and National Australia Bank. Um, Macquarie, by contrast, again, which is a, an investment bank as I said last week, tends to recover much more quickly than the other banks. So look at what Macquarie's done in relation to, to COVID and how fast it's recovered and pushed higher and where it is in relation to its all-time high. We're talking about chalk and cheese when we're comparing NAB um, to a bank like Macquarie and even Commonwealth Bank. So again, um, you know, you've got to be thinking about which types of stocks that you want to invest in and don't get emotional about Commonwealth Bank just because you go there to bank there uh, or, or Na National Australia Bank because at the end of the day, it's your money invested. So look, um, it's the end of tonight's show and I hope that you've enjoyed it and thank you for participating. If you have a topic that you would like us to discuss on the show, send in your ideas and we'll look at your requests for our upcoming shows. Now, if you would like to see the show continue to grow, then remember to share it on your social media with your friends and colleagues. And also remember to make sure that you put this show into your calendar, as we'll be back right here on YouTube, live every Tuesday from 7 till 8pm. As always, we're happy to receive your questions, so send them to info at wealthwithin.com.au and just type Wealth Within Live in the subject line. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Again, we really hope everyone enjoyed it as much as we have. As always, thank you for joining us and we hope to see you again next week. For now, goodbye, good luck and good trading. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wealth Within, a global leader in stock market education. For more information on our courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre.